Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-30-2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. And we thank you for uh, the assembling of ourselves together tonight uh, so that we can come to learn your thoughts. Father, we thank you for those who uh, have joined. We pray for Word is Truth, uh, wherever they may be tonight, uh, for the extended families of Word is Truth. Father, we also pray for uh, those who are sick among us. We pray for healing. Uh, you know what is on our hearts. You know, we pray for those in particular who need uh, your healing touch. Also, Father, we, we pray for wisdom as we approach our Bible study this evening. Father, as the verses uh, you, you have in Romans have intrigued us, so we pray that uh, your Spirit will continue to teach us so that we can understand what is the message of the Scriptures that have been written and preserved for us. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So we are, as you know, really plowing through Romans chapter 10. Uh, listen to me plowing through like we, as slow as I go. <laughs> but yeah, plowing through Romans 10. We're going to be in Romans 11. I would say if all things go uh, the way I expect, in about two weeks, we'll be in Romans 11. So next week... We, we will probably combine both verses. Oh, that's not true. We might do a slight review. So we'll see. But Romans 11 is on the docket here. So it is an intriguing verse. And I hope you all are as excited about going through it as I am. I've, all, I've never gone through Romans 11 verse by verse. For that matter, I haven't gone through 10 verse by verse or 9 either. So uh, it helps so that whatever you thought about Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, or even 8, it, you need the confirmation to see verse by verse just what is being spoken of in those verses. What is the context? How do those verses fit together? All of that is important as we keep our focus and making sure that we allow the word and the spirit of truth to speak to our hearts. So we are at a place in Romans 10 and verse 19. Uh, I will read it. It says, again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. So we, <clears throat> this is another verse, as we have spoken of, that Paul retreats back to the Old Testament because he wants to give uh, language as he speaks to Israel. He wants to give language that they would understand, they would be familiar with. They, they, they would probably turn toward instead of away. So that's the, the thought as he approaches Romans. And we saw that same scenario in 10 
we saw that same scenario in um, 9 and other verses so it's not unfamiliar to us at this point so this is where we are let's see if we can dig in so in your notes as we review the testimony of God to the nation Israel we can clearly see two things one Israel was stubborn and resisted God even in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ two we can see the mercy and patient endurance of God they did not keep their covenant and failed to fulfill the purpose of God to the nations how could they preach the gospel to the nations when they needed the gospel themselves how could they keep their covenant when they were unregenerate and resisting the Holy Spirit so hopefully we are able to answer those questions for ourselves uh, through what Paul is actually saying in this verse so we're gonna get right to it so perhaps we'll have a little bit of time after for some Q&A so we're at point one again I ask did Israel not understand so our answer to this rhetorical question, and I do underline, uh, well, I am underlining rhetorical, because Paul expects the answer that he gave in the previous verse, which was, and this is verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? And here's the answer he gave, of course they did. So the, the, the rhetoric, the rhetoric here, is that he's asking a question that should beg the point and that is exactly what it, what it does right so that's that's what Paul is is reviewing here I asked our he says did Israel not understand so how are we supposed to answer that question we're supposed to say of course they understood of course they did and that you know when you look at that it just reminds me of some things as I think about especially that lead to point B they heard and they understood so we heard that from the last one have they has Israel not heard right and here's did they understand and yeah yeah they understood since what may and here's a quote and point B that I have since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them this is Romans 119 now you might say, well, Doug, I, you're using Romans 119, which is really a reference to Gentiles. So that's, so it, typically people look at Romans chapter 1 as, you know, God telling Gentiles, don't worry, I, I got you, you know, you certainly have heard and you turned away from me as well. And, and then chapters 2 more so to the thinking of a Jew and even into chapter 3 all the way up to verse 9 right, we have uh, Paul's understanding of how Jews think and how they should have heard and responded to the gospel message as well as Paul talks he starts out in Romans 1 16 he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes so it's clear to Paul that it doesn't matter what your orientation is whether you are Jewish background whether you're Gentile background you should know 
God has made it plain. So why? So really, when I use Romans chapter one to talk about what I'm talking about, yes, I know I'm talking about the Jew. It is with stronger emphasis, because not only did the Jew have everything that the Gentiles had, they had far more. God revealed Himself to them in a way that He did not to the other nations. So it is with greater reason that they should certainly be able to understand. And, uh, you know, as we said in the opening, uh, if how can they be preaching the gospel to other nations when they themselves needed the gospel? How can, how can they preach when they need to be the recipients, not those who are sent? But yet, that was the case. That was what was happening in Israel. So the point is, if I'm using these words which apply to Gentiles for Jews, then certainly uh, Jews should have understood. And with more emphasis and reason, they should even be more understanding since they, God gave him, or I'm sorry, God gave them his revelation to the nations and how, how other nations can come to Christ. So that's the point in Romans 1.19. God is saying he made it plain to them. He's talking to Gentiles. Because God has made it that way. I mean, we're going to see some more of Romans, but just keep that thought in mind. With greater emphasis, these can apply to Jews as well. Point C in our notes. If they did not understand, and let's say, I'm just postulating, if they did not understand, like it says, did Israel understand? If you question that, then they would not be held responsible for their actions. However, they were far from that. And I'm going to go to Romans 1 and read 20 and 21. Uh, let's look at that. Romans 1, chap uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. So here it is. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. It didn't even just say, yeah, you could really, if you looked real hard and squinched your eyes and looked up to the sky, you could see God. No, he says, have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made, what has been made. So then it says, so that people are without excuse. Now, it's, it's, it's a crime really, and, and I'm just going to pause for a minute, we won't spend a whole long time on this, it's really a crime what evolutionists have done to the narrative here. I mean, it's very obvious that we did not evolve, that all of this could not evolve. It's God is saying it's clear. But now man comes in and says, no, no, there's a, all of these things have some sort of scientific explanation, which is preposterous. It really is. I, according to God, from God's point of view, his testimony about his, him, about creation, him using his omnipotence, which could not have been any other way. There's no way to account for such things other than God created the heavens and the earth. The, the flimsy excuses and uh, reasoning that evolutionists throw out 
and are even printed in books that our children are to read in school. It is travesty. It is horrible to think about that that is what is postulated as the creation. And people believe it. And people, in fact, people mock creationists for saying that oh, you believe in some God who created all these things. You really believe that? Yeah, I do. I do believe it. And, and we should really, if we want to be humble about this, but we could really be mocking them. I, I'm not saying we should, but who's in the position of weakness here? Not us. They are. But these evolutionists have really changed the narrative, especially in this country. Anyway, let's keep going. So it says they, were, they are without excuse. That means they're responsible for their actions. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, I could read more in here, but I think you get the point. My, my point from what I want to say about did Israel understand? Well, absolutely they did. So there. So what, what that verse tells me in verse uh, 21 is that God not only had creation as a witness, but he had witness to each of them themselves. When it says they knew God, so God witnessed to them, but what did they do? They deceived themselves. It says they didn't glorify him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile. So they, God, how did they get that information? That God had to witness to him. How did God witness to him? He did it through the director of communications, the liaison, God the Holy Spirit. That is his job. And there it is. You can't see verse 21 unless there's some inside witnessing going on. There has to be some internal witnessing that God has to do to each people. Not only does he have creation as a witness, but he goes to each person. And he lets them know who he is. And man has a choice to make after that. Man is responsible. So that's the point. Uh, hopefully... Again, if he's talking to Gentiles, certainly with stronger reason it applies to Jews who understood more, who had more light. Point D, they understood, yeah, that's so, that was what was happening, but they refused to believe. They understood. Matthew 21 is our next one. Now, you, you all know the story. I'm going to breeze through here really quick. And so just follow me. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 33 through 46. It's a parable. And I'm sure you have heard it. I'll begin. Listen to another parable. <clears throat> Stand by. Listen to another parable. <clears throat> there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented it rented the vineyard to some farmers <clears throat> who moved to another place. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when the harvest time approached, <clears throat> he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other 
servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, <clears throat> This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And this is what they said. He will bring those wretches to, to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and then given to a people who will produce its fruit. And then he says, Anyone who falls on a stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone whom, on whom this, it falls will be crushed. I had to read down to the last part because I liked it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So his popularity in that case. Interesting story. <clears throat> but did they understand? Yeah. Yeah, they understood. They knew. In fact, I would have to say it was uh, their knowledge was uh, pretty profound in who Jesus was. Uh, so point E, the straw that broke the, the backs. My, I, I thought about the camel's back. Well, this is what really was the turning point in John 11, 45 through 54. I just want to read that or, or breeze through that as well. John 11. 45 through 54 and you all know the story of Lazarus where he was resuscitated and brought back to life after being dead four days so verse 45 therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin what are, you, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So, um, so I, I don't know if we want to read the whole point, but all the way down to 36, um, 54, uh, I think you should know, but 54 says, or 53 the conclusion of the matter. So, 53, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. That's very serious. We're not just talking about somebody who hated Jesus, who was on, walking down the road and saw him, didn't like him. We're talking about the Jewish nation, the leaders of the Jewish nation, the religious leaders who were not only the leaders but the politicians got together and said Jesus must die now, so what happens as, as a result verse 54 therefore Jesus no longer moved among the, among 
or about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to, the, to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his dis disciples. So, um, hopefully you're seeing the impact of Jesus as he walked around performing signs, wonders, and miracles. And what was the leadership thinking? We just saw that, how they got together. They were politically afraid of Jesus. They didn't want to lose power. As a result, they said, yeah, we can't deny what he's done. And, and to add insult to injury, there was a, another plot. They said, well, this, this Lazarus is going on the speaking tour with Jesus. And if we let this go on, so what did they want to do? Kill Lazarus too. You could just say that's evil, pure evil. And yet, all of that, God was patient, as I said in the first, in the opening. One of the things we learned from Israel, we saw them at their worst. But what it brought out in God was what we see as his best which is long-suffering, patient endurance. And you know, you might say, hey, we need that because we're not perfect. And even though we even know the way, often when we are tempted, we give in to sin. And sometimes we have to wonder, God, you, you are so very patient and long-suffering. And, uh, and sometimes I think, do we even deserve the mercy of God because we know better it's not it's not out of ignorance but thank God we have a plan that's solid that is taken into account all of our weaknesses and failures we have a plan that sustains us even in the face of our recalcitrance our stubborn behavior even when we are the least attractive to God that we could possibly be, like Israel was at their worst. So in some ways, we, you know, we should love to see what Israel brought out in God was their his patience. And he didn't cast them away. You would think, if it was any one of us, after all Israel had done, we would say, Israel finished, <laughs> that's it. And they rejected his son. They put him, they crucified him. You're done. We would not uh, give him the time of day. But God doesn't do that. He's faithful. Not like us. And I so appreciate that. Point G. Don't be deceived or gullible like the Corinthians were. Guard your faith. Make sure it is directed toward the word of God. What do I mean? Guard your faith. Make sure it's directed toward the right source. 2 Corinthians 11 has some something to say about, about that. Uh, let's read it. Uh, 3 through 6. Stand by. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. There it is. 
Paul is a worried, he's worried about these Corinthians because they were willing to entertain falsehood. They listened, they gave space and air to people who are obviously wrong. And yet, uh, Paul is concerned. He says, look, you, you, you're playing with fire here. Just like Eve, when she entertained the serpent's conversation, she was playing with fire because you're not smarter than Satan. He can deceive you. And yet, the Corinthians were gullible. This is what I would call it, gullible. So then Paul says, <clears throat> I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may be an untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made that this perfectly clear to you in every way. And Paul demonstrated his apostleship through signs and wonders and miracles. Those other one, uh, what Paul is later going to call super apostles, uh, he's given them that nickname because of how the Corinthians treated them as opposed to how they treated him. And uh, it was just a messy situation. Uh, Paul dealt with it. And, uh, but you had to see Paul's sarcasm here. You had to see it. It, it. It's just dripping throughout his writings here. And God allowed this into the Word because I think oftentimes we need such conversation as we, this Word has been preserved for us today as we're reading it to benefit from it. So Israel did some horrible things um, and they were gullible. But what we need to do is realize where all that comes from and why. And let's look at the second half of our verse as we get to that. Maybe we'll get some answers. So let's, let's, let's get to it. So first, this is, um, so it goes the whole verse. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? And then his answer is this. And of course, we know the, the rhetoric of the answer is, of course they understood. And he says, first, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. So we know what God did where he allowed Israel to be conquered. He said, if you're not going to stay in the land and obey the covenant, then I will have another nation come in and take over. Those horrible things, uh, as well, you know, God warned them. And as bad as it sounded, what God said, Israel let that happen. Not just once, not just twice, but many times. God had to discipline Israel by allowing a nation to come in and conquer them. Uh, many were killed and, and some were taken into slavery. All kinds of things happen when you lose a war. Terrible things. Those things happen to Israel as well. So we're going to dig into what, is, what does he mean by this. And let's, let's go for it. So first point is Paul quotes from the Old Testament again. And, and this is even more emphasis on Israel's judgment for disobedience. And I want to head to De Deuteronomy uh, 32, 17 through 21 to get the context of what Paul was talking about. I could just read one verse to say, oh yeah, this is what he's quoting. But I want to read so you get a little bit more context. So that's Deuteronomy 32, I believe, no, is it 31? Stand by, let me just get the correct. No, it's 32, 17 through 21. So let's look at that. 
17 says so says and there's more if you just keep reading it and you, let's just say you're just you know want to have um, you have some time and you know our time is limited together so we'll cut some of this off for, for time's sake but when you get a chance and you, if you'd like to read around these verses and just see just make sure that Doug is is, is speaking of the same context that I'm actually declaring that it is that is a good opportunity for you you know take some time to do that uh, be a Berean in these circumstances like it says when Paul spoke to them uh, they it wasn't that they doubted Paul but Paul was telling them some interesting things about Jesus Christ and they had to go and they did they go they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was accurate there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is a good and Paul and what did Paul do? He commended the Bereans for how they approached the Word of God. And that I would say for us, we need to be the same way. He says they were more noble than the Thessalonians and uh, how they approached the Word. So I I always like that verse. Uh, that was in Acts chapter 17. If somebody wants to read that. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's get to them. So Deuteronomy 32, 17. They sacrificed to false gods, which are no gods. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. So when you look at all that, he's really, that verse, I wanted to include that because they're false gods. They're really not gods at all. That's what he says in the first phrase, which are not gods. So gods they had not known. In other words, where did they get these gods from? The, the pagans around them, right? It wasn't Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is their heritage. Gods that recently appeared. In other words, these gods they never heard of, Molech and Baal and all these gods that uh, uh, came as a part of these pagans that, they were, that were surrounding them. Instead of them teaching uh, the pagan world, the nations... The gospel, the nations influence them, and what did they do? They sacrifice to them, to their gods, which is reprehensible. It's, I mean, here you you are God's chosen people. To God sent you to witness to them, and what happens? They're witnessing to you. What do you do? You accept theirs. So. Um, says gods your ancestors did not fear not the gods of abraham not the gods but the god singular of abraham isaac and jacob that they those are the that's who why they are who they are and yet they allowed themselves to be prostrated uh prostituted to other others and their gods verse 18 you deserted the rock that's the lord jesus christ the rock remember who fathered you, who, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. There it is. He was, this earlier verse talks about he was jealous. I think, yeah. Verse 20, I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what the end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They, oh, this is the one. They made me jealous by what is no, what, what, what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those 
who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. There's our verse, by the way, So that Paul is quoting. But notice the context of what it is. I'll just read the next verse. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down the realm of the to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and will set afire the foundations of the mountains. And it goes on of how God is saying, I, I'm going I'm going to visit you with judgment. You're going to this this is not going to be something that, that you know, uh, that I will just allow to slip by. He isn't going to note it. He's going to he's going to visit them with severe judgment continuing so this is point and this is really point b in our notes uh I, I, this is where we got to really stop and think about it is what i said in the opening about how can israel uh go out and give the gospel to the nations where they themselves need the gospel how is it that they're sent to preach somebody needs to be sent to preach to them that's so here point b israel's failure to fulfill their covenant is directly related to their refusal to believe in their Messiah to come. So if you think about that, that is a statement that I don't think most people would uh, associate with as, we, as they talk about the failures of Israel. They don't talk, they talk about how Israel should have been obedient, they should have been this, they should have been that. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have been, but their failures are a result of the fact that they were unregenerate. That is what's where it all stems from. They were never designed to be a people to go out to other nations to preach the gospel to other nations when they themselves hadn't received the gospel. They didn't believe. So how could they fulfill God's purposes for them when they were unregenerate? And it's interesting to think about as you go forward that the church is not like that at all. You're not in the church. Now, of course, lots of people are in the church who are not saved. Now, that doesn't mean in the church. I'm talking about the local church. Because you can't be in the church, the true church of God, where you're baptized into Christ, where you're saved, you're justified, all that, unless you believe in Christ. You can't even be in the church unless you are part of the believing right of of the lord jesus christ that's ephesians 3 6 it says it right there so the fact that israel was a mixed race of people some believed and some didn't uh, they had the genes of abraham isaac and jacob god created a nation out of them but they were not all believers and that is a problem so as we read further, it is directly related, as I say, to their refusal to believe in the Messiah to come. Point C, they heard and understood, but refused to believe. I mean, that's really how it all boils down. You have a stubborn people. And this is what uh, Stephen said. You, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. And that is just before they killed him. It's like what Jesus says, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. Well, that's exactly what they did to Stephen. They killed him for saying what 
the scripture said, and they they and they killed him by stoning even Jesus. Two very true words that Jesus says. And that was a testimony. Hey, we're still talking about Stephen today. That says a lot. It says to me that his witness, his testimony, his death did not go for that, you know, un, it was not unremarkable. It was remarkable, his death. We are reading about it as even today in our study that Stephen testified to the Lord Jesus Christ upon his death. And what did they do? They killed him. They killed him. So um, so that's to note. And I'm going to read a couple. So they, this is point, point C in our notes. They heard and understood but refused to believe. They replaced Christ with the Mosaic Law. And I got a couple of scriptures here. Romans 3.20 is our first one. We'll just breeze through that one. Amen. Stand by. Romans 3.20 says, uh, here it is. Therefore, no one, <laughs> you, not that you, not, you don't know these verses, but um, just think about them in this context. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So th for Paul to say this, after he had already talked about none righteous, not even one, all that, right? Then he talked about where our fruits are open graves and on and on and the way of peace did out. No, there's no fear of God. So Paul is saying, that's who we're talking about. That's what man is in Adam. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So Israel, the Gentiles didn't have the law, so we can X them out right now. We're talking about Jews here. Jews thought that they could be justified, declared righteous by God in his sight because of their works of the law. There, it couldn't be said more clear than this. That was where their dependence was. It was not on the Messiah to come. It was on their works of the law. They shifted it. In other words, they understood what God wanted, but they said, no, we have the law here, God. And we don't need to believe in Christ. We're going to resist that. And we're going to believe in the law. We're going to trust in the law. Because if we work ourselves into a situation where you're going to have to justify us, you're going to have to declare us righteous in your sight, God is saying, nope, nope, it'll never happen. And I already explained who you were. And, and if you go to verse 9, Romans 3, 9, our, Paul says, are we any better? meaning we Jews? No. He says, he says we're, uh, just like he said before, he's saying again, here it is, do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have made the, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. He explains what it means and what it looks like to be under the power of sin. Those following verses are what it is like. And that's not just for Gentiles. That's for Jews too. So we already just said that in the opening there in, in Romans 3.9. So therefore, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law. Well, they were trying to be right with God and that was barking up the wrong tree. Galatians 
21, I believe, is our next verse we're going to look at. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Now watch this. For if righteousness could be gained through the law. Now why would Paul say that? Because the Jews thought that they, they could be righteous by keeping the law. And so Paul's saying, in order for you to, to, to pursue God based on the law, you have to set aside the grace of God to do that. So just look at, I don't set aside the grace of God for righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. Now this is to say that his death was not the only way. If that were true, you could be you could be righteous through the works of the law. That means that his death is not the only way that you could become righteous. You got some people who could be righteous by grace, and you got some people who could be righteous by the works of the law. But if that is if that is true, Christ Christ died for nothing. In other words, God the Father could have just said, "Okay, here's the law, everybody." Just do the works of the law, and I'll be satisfied with that. We don't have to send my son, my one and only son, so that he could die and be judged for the sins of the whole world. We don't have to do that because you can be righteous through the law. That is absolutely not the case. If, if that were the case, then Christ died for nothing. It will be a waste. It will be no purpose to no end that Christ died. Because we could have, what Christ gained for us, we could have gained through the works of the law. The Jews didn't understand that, but Paul was being very clear. These are very raw verses that should stick out to the Jew and stick them right in the side and show them that God is not fooling around here. I mean, he couldn't have said it clearer. Point D in our notes. Before you can speak about service, to God, if it is Israel or the church, doesn't matter which one, listen to the Lord. What did Jesus have to say? John 3, 3 through 7. I, not, I just say you certainly know these verses, but let's dig into them real quick. All right, so what if you're going to perform any service, it's like Nicodemus. He's somebody who was busy working, right? He came to Jesus at night and he wanted to talk. What did Jesus have to say? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So you, you, you tell me, is that, it, was that a problem if Israel wasn't born again? And you're running around to other nations trying to talk to them. What ends up happening? The other nations end up influencing you with their gods, not you influencing them with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how all nations will be blessed through through the sun but no they end up influencing you you end up sacrificing to their idols and and their false gods that's what happens so jesus understood what what the order was here you need to be born again so let's just dig into what he means how can someone be born when they are old nicodemus asked surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born how silly right how silly, Nicodemus, come on. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Now, Jesus gets very literal, right? Very literal. So he says, what does water and spirit mean? Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's the water. 
but spirit gives birth to spirit. Right. So then we're talking about birth. How do we get there? Because of Nicodemus asking that silly question. Right. So Jesus explains it in brutal detail here. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So uh, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Again, Nicodemus was surprised. Nicodemus was in the dark, ignorant about such things. Why? Because Israel had moved away from that which is spiritual and gravitated to that which is literal, fleshly. In other words, keeping the law. They thought because they kept the law, they would be righteous before God. All that stuff we just read about, none righteous, not even one, they resisted that. That is God the Holy Spirit telling them why they need a savior, why they are lost. And they resisted hearing that. So let's keep going. Listen to this. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now notice this. The Spirit... When we say, and I've made some statements before, I said, no one can be saved, whether from Adam to, to the last person born in the millennium. No one can be saved except by the Spirit. The Spirit, unless he's enlightening that person and bringing that person to a decision, that person is dead in their transgressions and sins. That person is not righteous. And they're, every time they open their God, uh, their mouth, to God, it is like an open grave. There is no fear of God. All of that is true of us. But when the Spirit begins to work in our hearts and lead us to Christ, we have a decision to make. So just like the wind blows wherever it pleases, you can't tell, you can't hear. He's talking about how the Spirit works in an individual. If Nicodemus is asking, what do you mean? How, how can you be born again? The only thing I understand is physical birth, Jesus. Can you tell me about spirit birth? How do, what are you talking about? Jesus is trying to describe spiritual birth. So what does Nicodemus say? How can this be? I, I still don't understand. And then Jesus has to break it down. You are Israel's teacher, and yet you do not understand. Jesus is telling you what he knows. You saw it as miracle signs and wonders, right? That's why you're here. Listen to me, Nicodemus. I'm telling you about things I know. So anyway, that, that just giving you a, what did Jesus have to say? He didn't just say that to the church. We got to be born uh, of the Spirit as well. This is where he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the church is not going to be built on a new racial identity, through the genes of this one, that one, and then the other one, the church is going to be born through the Spirit of God, bringing each person and baptizing them into the body of Christ. So that's only that's the only way the Spirit uh, gives life. That's it. Yeah, for us, that is in this age. He causes us to be alive to God, and then unites us to the body of Christ. So. Point E in our notes. There can be no acceptable service. I think this is where we are, actually. There can be no acceptable service to God unless one is born again. You would logically think 
there will be great emphasis on teaching the gospel in churches. But sadly, no. That is not what's happening. So think about it. Israel failed. And not many people talk about it this way. The main reason for Israel's failure was their unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ to come. They resisted that. And they shifted their acceptance to God. This is in their heads. This made more sense to them. To shift their acceptance with God by their efforts at keeping the law. Forget about the Messiah to come. Well, the, all the animal sacrifices, that was just ritual without reality. They didn't believe in some Messiah to come. Like Not like that. They thought, yeah, the Messiah is going to come, but he's going to do this and he's going to do that. He's going to free us from the Roman bondage. All this about, you know, you're dead, non-righteous. Uh, you need a substitute for your sins. A sub, uh, an innocent lamb to substitute for your sin, your sinful self. You know, the, the doctrine of substitution, propitiation, all of that what are spiritual things that God does. And they were removed from that. So in the same way, as I said, you would logically think, if, since that's so important, even Jesus says, well, the first thing's first, you've got to be born again. You would think, there would be great emphasis on this teaching, but it is not. Unfortunately, in our churches, they breeze over the gospel message as though it were, you know, less information, the better. No, the more information, the better. You, we, we need to get into the, not only what is the gospel, we need to teach the gospel so that people are sure that they have put their faith, that their faith is founded in the right information and the word of truth. No, they come up with these cute phrases and all this. And next thing you know, uh, they, they, they teach the gospel like they're talking to somebody that's three years old. And the three year, you know, the, the analogies they're given and all that. Well, just teach the Bible. Just teach what the Bible says, what you need to do to, to be saved. And I think you'd be on solid ground. However, it's not happening. It, it, it was a thing of the past for Israel. Israel put the gospel aside. And what did they talk about? Service, keeping the law. Right? That's what their emphasis was. How uh, they didn't eat this and, and they didn't go here or they didn't do that or, oh, can't do that because the law said don't do that. And we're going to be a distinguishable among the nations because of all the things that we don't do or, or the, things, the things that we do. Wrong. They were putting their service to God before being born again. And what's happening in churches and today, same thing, same thing. There's no solid teaching of the gospel. And you need a solid foundation before you can go out and um, work in your calling. Uh, you, you need to understand where your ground is. So this is, as we're moving forward in time, we're going to end this. But point F, we're going to close. The result of this, what happens? Many are poised to repeat Israel's distractions or, or, and their disastrous failures. Their, Israel was distracted by the law. And what did that mean to them? 
to a disastrous result, failure in their calling. Now, I, anytime we talk about failure, we do, we do need to say that God is not finished with them yet and they will succeed. We should say that. But from here, from where we sit, if we look back, failure. That's what we see, failure. And a lot of churches today love Israel. They want to emulate Israel. They're always reading the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying I don't read it either, but I'm saying I'm being sent there by the Apostle Paul, and I want to understand what is being said. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a background in the Old Testament. That's not my point. But through the sacrifice of understanding what God has called us to, that is not what he's called you. I don't care how hard you strain. You will never be an Israelite. Never. You can convert to Judaism in this age. If you're a believer, you that is not your calling. You could... Yeah, it's, it will just never, it is not your calling, and God has called you to something else. It's called the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what what is the result? Because people are focused on Israel, and Israel's failings, what is it? They're poised to repeat the same failures. And that's what's happening. That, that is what's going on in churches where they are works-oriented. They are putting the cart before the, her, before the horse. When they do talk about the gospel, they are very vague, uh, fleeting words and phrases that are not even in the Bible that they have used to try to, oh, just invite Christ into your heart or just dedicate your life to Christ. Tell, repent of all of your sin. Where are you getting all this stuff? Let's just say it strictly the way the Bible says it. God has disastrous things that happen to Israel. Why would we want to repeat such things as their failures? Why wouldn't we want to learn from their failures and focus our attention, be, have a foundation where we fully understand the Word of God and the gospel message, just as Jesus told them, hey, you must be born again. So this thought, I'm just going to read these verses that just describe Israel's failure. This is Matthew 23, 13 through 39. Stand by here. Matthew 23, 13 through 39. This is what Jesus says to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces you yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to now listen to that there it is they ain't teaching the gospel they weren't and they refused to teach it and were mad if somebody did put their faith in the lord jesus christ let's keep reading woe to you teachers of the law pharisees you hypocrites you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if, any, if someone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple? That makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone 
who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar, or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, if anyone who swears by the altar swears, swears by it and everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. So uh, I'm just going to skip down. Yeah, 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices of mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Verse 24, you blind guides, you strain it out at a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombstones, tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean in the same way on the outside you appear as pe to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you blind you you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and you say if we had lived in the days of our ancestors we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and com compete, complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent those sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, we're going to conclude uh, our study tonight, and we're going to turn to some Q&A before we close. The floor is open. Just a, just a thought, you know, while you were, uh, especially in the early part of uh, the message, brought to mind, and I forget who this was, who said they had stolen all your prophets, and now they're trying to kill me, and the Lord said I have just 10,000, and he set aside that did not salvage any of that. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's in Romans eleven. Well, Paul. I mean, there's more. There's this. This is about uh, Elijah the prophet. Uh, but and so yeah, it's in the Old Testament. But Paul picks that up in Romans eleven, which we will be there soon. So he says uh, in eleven one and two. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know this, what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So is that the verse you were referring to? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see how that would be reminiscent. We're certainly talking about Israel has a history of killing prophets. That's interesting when you think about it. Prophets sent... I mean, talk about rejecting your calling. <laughs> God sends you prophets and you kill them. Or, or the earlier parable, as I said, when uh, they sent servants to the vineyard. The master set up the vineyard and then rented out. And then when he got came to collect the fruit, you know, the produce from uh, what 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 happened, they killed those servants, stoned one, killed another. You know, this and that. <sighs> Terrible. And so then what did he do? He sent other servants. And they didn't they treated them the same way. So what happened? They certainly weren't paying any money or produce. That they weren't giving that up. So then he said, Well, I know. I'll send my son. Certainly they will listen to him. What do they do? They they realize they say, Oh, this is the son. He's the heir. Let's kill him. Let's take the, let's yeah. And they took him out and they killed him, which represents Christ. So Israel has a horrible past, as we said. And we have to recognize that and not emulate them. Let's look and see what their failure was. Let's not emulate, oh, the Israelite and their in all their glory, what God called them to be. Let's, let's make sure that we don't fail in the church uh, by looking not properly at what Israel failed and how they did not succeed in their calling. So let's make sure we understand what we are thinking about when we see Israel. They failed. So I don't know why they are lifted up and the church age is rejected. Uh, if anything, we should use understand that they failed and not repeat their same mistakes. I'll pause. Other thoughts? Yeah, I kind of wanted to bring um, some other uh, good news into this, talking all about Israel's failure and, and stuff. Um, but I was looking in John chapter 1, and um, verse 41, back to, uh, starting with um, 39, um, you know, Jesus is calling his first disciples, and in 40 he says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
and he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Um, so that's an indication is that they were looking for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if we go down to verse 45, it says the same thing. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And um, so, you know, um, Simon and, and Andrew, I'm, I'm guessing these were, um, you know, the portrayal of, of Simon Peter is that he's a simple fisherman. Um, but apparently they were acquainted with Moses and the law and the prophets and understood that this is uh, you know, who the Christ was. While the rest of you know Israel, the Israel leaders, um, even Nicodemus, as in John chapter three, he has no clue. He, you know, he's recognizing something is different, but it, he doesn't know where it's coming from. And Jesus is surprised. You're a teacher of the law, and you don't know these things. Right, right. Uh, what a point to make. I mean, just think about what you're saying. Is um, when you think about the disciples, common fishermen, you know, they weren't like the elite in Jerusalem. They weren't part of the leadership at all. But yet, but we, we do need to qualify. Their understanding of the Messiah was changed by Jesus quite drastically. In fact, um, Jesus said in Matthew, when he had to rebuke Peter, because Jesus had to, once he told him, yeah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On the one hand, he said, yeah, the Father gave, revealed that to you, Peter. I noticed the Father revealed it to you. I like that because it it also agrees with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 in the beginning, where it says, no one can call Jesus Christ Lord except the Spirit by, a power, by the power of the Spirit, something like that it says. No one can call Christ Lord. And Peter did. He, he, he says, you are the Christ, Son of the living God, right? It's, and, and Jesus quickly says, oh, the Father. But then Jesus says, after, after he talked about the church a bit, then he said um, what he was going to do. He was going to have to go to Jerusalem. He, where he, he was going to be taken by the Pharisees and beaten and then killed. And then he would be uh, raised to life on the third day. Peter probably interrupted him and said hold on hold on that will never happen to you that don't in fact don't even say that anymore because that's some wrong wrong teaching don't don't say that peter rebuked christ so what was peter's understanding of the messiah it was totally wrong so he said jesus answer back to him was get behind me satan you don't have the things of God in your heart, but the things of men. So what Peter understood about the Messiah was absolutely wrong. And I would say that uh, the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees, all of them believed that there would be a Messiah to come. But what they believed about the Messiah was absolutely wrong. And whatever you believed about the Messiah, if the Messiah does come and you look at him in the eye 
it's time for you, just like the disciples, to revise your thinking. And uh, I guess Nicodemus did. We, we can go back and think about, yeah, he was ignorant. And there's no, no harm in being ignorant. Uh, the harm is the refusal to believe, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. And instead of their dependence on the Messiah, they shifted it to the law. So that's the thought. But yeah, uh, practically all the Jews, and, and remember there was another thought too, is that there were false messiahs popping up. And uh, so what Jesus wasn't the first who come along and say, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> wasn't the first. There were others, as we find um, in Acts and some of Josephus' writings as well. So we, we, we do realize that the, the Jews did expect, but their main thought was that the Messiah would come to free them from Roman bondage, you know, from their captors. And they would be able to fully function as a government, uh, you know, a nation governing themselves. Uh, right now, Roman's thumb was on Israel pretty heavy, not only for taxation, but they told them what they could and could not do. They were in control. So, I'll pause. Your thoughts? I appreciate that, but um, still there is a, a distinction when you say that they had no clue um, about who Christ was until the Father revealed him. Um, yet there is a one difference that I still see is that um, the disciples seem to have been looking for somebody um, where the religious leaders were had, were not. Um, religious leaders sounded like they were even uh, it sounded like the disciples were open to the idea that could this be the Messiah? And it sounds like the um, at the same time, the religious leaders were like thinking, oh, here comes somebody else claiming to be the uh, Messiah, and we're going to have to do something about that. True. Yeah, I think even more importantly, um, it was their shifting their focus from the Messiah, the spiritual life, that the animal sacrifices and substitution and the, the, the meanings of all of that was rejected by them. And they looked for a Messiah who was going to be political rather than spiritual. In fact, they looked at Jesus and thought, well, okay. And even, even the, Peter and those guys, they didn't fully understand what... And it's not a crime to not understand what the Messiah's purpose would be. That's not a crime. What the crime is is shifting your dependence from the spiritual life of the Messiah and what he would bring to, you know, which represented all the animal sacrifices and all of a sudden now here he is, like John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God. From turning to from that to the law for their support and their spiritual uh, representation before God. So much so that... Uh, that, of course, if that were the case, they were unregenerate, remember. So they didn't have any view of the Messiah. And your point, to your point, you're right. The disciples were more malleable 
when it came to the Spirit's teaching. And the, the Spirit led them to believe and, and to come to faith in Christ. So that was true. Yeah, they were led by the Spirit. Where I wouldn't say that the scribes and the Pharisees were not, but there was that fatal flaw Israel had, which was to resist the Spirit and to focus on the law. I'll pause. Thank you for the question. That's a good one. You know, good to think how, because that's really what the, what is the crux of the matter, right? That's what we want to get to. What what was Israel's failure? You know, how can if we don't realize what Israel's failure was, we could not us, but I think we our objective here is to focus our attention on the foundation of salvation. So we know how we're saved, why we're saved, what are the means by which we're all of that is part of our quest. So that we have a foundation to stand on, so we can come and learn the deeper things of God. But that is not so for others. You know, this is this is why um, our focus has to be checked to be sure, right? And that's why I say a lot of churches today don't have that foundation. You talk to them about propitiation, you know, substitution, you know, uh, redemption. Uh, uh, atonement, uh, a lot of these things they haven't thought. They know the words, but they haven't thought. Like, what do they mean and how do they apply? How do we think about salvation as, re as it relates to these things? They haven't given it much thought. Uh, sort of like Israel had neglected it as well. And their dependence shifted from where they had come, spiritually speaking, and were going to be a blessing to all nations. Uh, all the nations hated them. Yeah, that was true. And yet, they weren't a blessing to all nations from that standpoint. I'll pause. Other thoughts out there? Don't let me do all the talking. All right. I guess we have reached the end. And uh, so with that, but thank you for the questions and thoughts. You know, this helps. And I just would emphasize that one point. Israel's failure was just what Jesus said. You must be born again. And when you look at the religious leadership, how far they were from that point. Nicodemus said, I don't know how this could be. I don't understand. Jesus said, Finally, Jesus said, you're a teacher in Israel and yet this is far from you it just shows you where Israel was spiritually speaking so we do not want to commit the worst crime which is to focus our attention on service without the spiritual life being our foundation well, actually service is the spiritual life as well but People who don't know any better don't think of it that way. They put the cart before the horse. We're going to close. Let's bow our heads as we do. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We're grateful. Uh, we thank you for not only the gift of life, which was orchestrated and 
executed by you and the Lord Jesus Christ and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for this so great salvation. And as we think about it and know that we want to progress on to the deeper things of God and grow in grace and all of those wonderful things that you show us in the Word. But we know there are prerequisites. The prerequisite here is that we come to know you in salvation, that we are born again, that we are alive to you before we can serve you, before we can learn of you. So, Father, we pray for those who do not know the gospel, those who are struggling right now in the midst of all of religion and self-righteousness going on in the world that you show them your son and you help them to understand that it is through Christ and him alone that we are saved. So Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you and pray for each one who is listening. We pray that we will be a source of truth that we might partner with the Spirit so that uh, we can also share in the blessings of the gospel. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.